the experiences we've had are amazing. And people will look at it and kind of romanticize it in a way, but sometimes it's deserving of that because it's amazing. It's hard work and not everybody is equipped for it. But as a woman, I think we are strong and I think we actually, you know, are able to deal with a lot emotionally and physically. I think we're probably better equipped to deal with this type of life than than most people. <laughs> I don't want to say it, but in a way, you know, I, I don't know. There's something, something special about us. That was Mimi Parker of Lowe, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, She Rose Radio. She Rose is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss the challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music a better space for everyone. Drummer, vocalist, and songwriter Mimi Parker and her husband, guitarist, songwriter, and singer Alan Sparhawk met as kids in rural Minnesota, became a couple in high school, and in 1993 formed a band that would become one of the most revered names in indie rock, Low. As a longtime fan of Low, I realized that I hadn't heard many or maybe even any interviews that focused on Mimi. When I invited her to come to Shiro's, I couldn't have anticipated how important and rare this conversation would be. In addition to hearing about her nearly three-decade journey with Lowe and the new high-water mark of their latest album, 2021's Hey What?, what Mimi Parker graciously and openly shares in this very special Shiro's interview was something that she hadn't discussed yet publicly. And as their U.S. tour starts back up in less than a month, it's an amazing time to hear this Shiro's journey. Mimi Parker, welcome to Shiro's Radio. Thank you so much for doing this. Wow, thank you so much for having me. This is pretty exciting. How often do you get to do press and interviews by yourself? <laughs> you know, not very often. But, you know, I... I I'm okay with that. I'm not super precious about anything, and I'm fine to share that responsibility with Alan. Of the two of you, would you say that he's more of the extrovert and you're more of the introvert? Definitely. Yes, yes. We uh, have kind of perfected that relationship over the years, even though he sometimes he insists that he's not an extrovert and that I am. But, you know, that's just in special moments. But yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, it even plays out in your setup with you behind the drums. Yeah. When did you first start playing drums? I first started when I was, I guess, in fifth grade. And I joined the junior high concert band in my small, small little school at Clearbrook, Minnesota. And for a hot minute, my mom let me rent a snare drum from school and I played it at home. And then she got tired of that. So I started in the percussion section in, yeah, in fifth grade. What attracted you to the drums and percussion to begin with? Do you remember? Well, probably... Maybe a little laziness. Maybe I wasn't interested in reading music and none of the horns. And I don't know, that stuff didn't really appeal to me. 
And I was always kind of fidgety, to tell you the truth. And I'm like, da da da, you know, moving my fingers and moving my legs. I was at the airport the other day and my knees were going like this and this. Nobody else was moving a muscle and I'm like twitchy, twitchy. So it actually, it worked out perfect because it fits my peculiar idiosyncrasies. I don't know. <laughs> One of the things that I've loved about Low is this mystique that surrounds you guys and how you really do, if you'll forgive the pun, march to the beat of your own drum. You guys have like lived in Duluth this whole time. You guys have been married, your high school sweethearts, if I'm getting that part of the story mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of breaks every law of rock and roll. (laughs) Talk to us a little bit about that aspect of low from your perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, when we started the band, we were, you know, for lack of a better word, we were really naive and we didn't know how it worked. We had, you know, obviously bands that we were fans of. And Alan had been in a couple other bands, not touring really, but just, you know, playing locally. And we knew from the beginning that it was going to be a little odd. You know, it wasn't necessarily a reaction to like the grungy stuff that was getting real popular, Nirvana and whatnot. But Alan knew that if we were going to be in a band together, it would have to appeal to me. And I was more, you know, we kind of touched on a little introverted, a little quiet, a little looking for beautiful melodic things so we kind of compromised a little bit with that but it actually you know he loves that too so we were like well this is going to be a little weird it's not going to appeal to a lot of people I guess it was in the I'm kind of going to a big story here the spring of 93 he found some equipment he brought it home he'd already been talking to a guy about playing bass this high school kid we were out of college at that point brought this equipment home. Hey, do you want to, you know, want to try this out? You know, I've got this guy, maybe we could just see how it works, you know, and he'd written a couple songs and we set it all up. We played it, you know, it was fun. And we'd actually talked about working together. We kind of had a really spiritual moment, like, you know, we think it's probably in our destiny to kind of work together. You know, and looking back, I'm kind of amazed that it actually worked. I don't know if I would feel the same way at this point in my life. It's a long time to be working with someone 24-7. But that was our dream. And, you know, we worked up a few songs. We sent out a few demos, maybe seven or eight. We got one acceptance back. This one guy named Kramer, he was living in New Jersey. Yeah, come on out, record, and let's see what happens. And we were just shocked. We're these farm kids. I literally grew up on a farm eight miles out of the town that I you know, went to school in, which was like 560 people. Wow. So we're going to New York to record. And we do five or six songs and it was like lickety split. We show up and, you know, we're a few minutes early and we're shocked we got there anyway. Kramer sticks his head out the door and says, you guys are early. Go find something to do. So, (laughs) you know, so we ate our first bagel, came back, recorded the songs, da da da, came home, went back out to do it again. He, meanwhile, got us set up with this label. Our third or fourth show was in Manhattan at the Knitting Factory, where we met our booking agent, Tom Windish, who was living with his parents at that point. We met just people that we've known now for years. Came home and we thought, well, how are we going to get this music business going? Well, I guess we got a tour. That's what people do. So we immediately started touring, borrowed $200 from my mom. We had a little Nissan pickup truck three of us piled in and we headed west to Seattle. Slept on floors. Our highest paying 
show was $75. Came home and, you know, had a conversation like, well, do you think we should move? You know, like all these people, they're either in the West or the East. And we thought, well, our family's here. We're kind of centrally located, actually. I don't know. Let's just stay here. It's a lot cheaper. So, yeah, to make a very long story short. uh, (laughs) Wow. We just got so much low history. I love that so much. (laughs) And to put a timeline on this, this is like early 90s, right? Yeah, this is 93. Yeah. So we started touring winter 94, something like that. Yeah. So in the division of labor between the two of you, Mm -hmm. did that play out and have those roles changed over the years? Ellen really spearheaded this band. I wouldn't say he was excited about running the show, but it kind of fell to him a lot. And he was communicating with all the people that we needed to communicate with. And he was driving pretty much. He was kind of a, a control freak with that. And over the course of the years... We've switched a little bit. He's kind of relinquishing his driving, which is very good because it tends to just trigger him and stress him out. And that's fine. You know, even in the U.S., we still just tour manage ourselves. Usually we travel around with just our crew. And, and in terms of administrative stuff, he takes care of a lot of it. He does the social media, kind of going back to the extrovert, introvert. You know, he tends to veer towards that, which, you know, is fine with me. I feel bad sometimes because I know he takes a lot of that pressure and he's not always the best equipped to deal with it we're working on that after 28 years we're still figuring crap out in terms of like creative he writes the bulk of the songs the ones that I sing on I usually have written most of them I'm not a super productive person when it comes to that you know whereas he will focus he will practice for hours and hours a day just to keep it. And I'm kind of lazy. I'm kind of a slacker. And I'll go down there and he'll play what he's got. And I'll like, oh, wow, that's really beautiful. And I'll add my whatever. (laughs) You know what he says, I'll sprinkle my magic dust on it or whatever, you know, some crazy thing he says and, you know, and add my harmony. And it's like, da da, there we go. There's a low song. Yeah, there's a low song. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of songs that you sing on and you wrote, can we pick a song off of this new record hey what well i guess i would probably choose hey it's kind of a story i wrote most of the lyrics alan interjected some of his thoughts too and it kind of came together like that i mean it's crazy there's been so much going on the pandemic the black lives matters protests and a lot of this record was written during that time And that song in particular was, in my mind, I'm imagining, you know, these people protesting and how emotional it can be and how maybe it might feel like you're just pushing against a brick wall. That's kind of where that came from. track called Hey, it happens right smack dab in the middle of Hey What, the incredible 13th album by Lowe. I have Mimi Parker here with us on Shiro's Radio. I'm Carmel Holt. So this is also the 10th anniversary of Come On, which is one of my favorite Mm. Lowe albums. And you were talking about the intensity of the past couple of years during pandemic times. I've been talking to a lot of women about reflection and self-reflection. I think that's kind of the zeitgeist 
zeitgeist. So in this moment of looking back, what have you found and any reflections on like the 10th mm-hmm. anniversary of that album, for example? Wow, 10 years since that came out. Man, time kind of flew with that. Well, with all the things that have been happening, like you say, it's hard to not, you know, think of how it used to be for one, you know, and how we're all just so subject to the chaos that happens around us and that we kind of have no control. And, you know, back in maybe 10 years ago, I was probably feeling pretty confident, feeling like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on. You know, I'm a mature woman and my kids are, you know, getting older and are, well, I guess at that point they were still kind of wee, but not so much. And now I look back and I think about what's going on today and I realize, you know, (laughs) That was really, you know, maybe naive and, and foolish of me to feel that way in a way because it certainly is different now. But, you know, that's the thing about youth, too. You know, you think you've got it all together. You're pretty confident, and but something will inevitably come and just shake you to the core. And I, I haven't spoken about this to anybody. And I questioned whether I should bring this up or not. But I've had this last year... Actually, December 22nd of 2020, I was diagnosed with advanced ovarian cancer. And so (laughs) we kind of kept it under wraps because, well, for one thing, that's kind of my thing. Not anything I feel like really sharing. And so from January to August, I was going through chemotherapy like really intense chemotherapy and having surgery in the middle of that. So it's been a crazy, surreal two years for me. And I guess I'm just bringing this up now because I think it's important for people to, when people get a diagnosis, when things happen, you know, some people have a tendency to you ask why, why me, this and that. And, you know, I never had that. It was always that, well, why not? You know, we're all subject to whatever random this and that that happens, and why not? And so that has just changed my perspective completely, too. Why are we here? Why do these things happen? Do they happen for a reason? Are they real random? Our time can be cut short. And what do we do with that time that we have? We try to make each day mean something or you try to accomplish something you try to make a connection with your kids with your family and the fact that this record came out during the middle of this was so affirming and so positive for me you know it was something that we worked really hard on we It was Alan and myself for the first time. We were a duo at this point. You know, our bass player had left. And yeah, I guess it's, it's, I don't know, it's been really, it's been a hell of a journey. And I guess, I don't know if I have any real words of wisdom at this point, but this life is crazy. And I'm thankful for the experiences that I've had, for the opportunities, for the chance to make beautiful music, the chance to collaborate with Alan, the chance to understand his chaos and his tendencies to mesh them with my calmness and my search for 
you know, harmony and beautiful things. But yeah, so that's what's been going on with me. <laughs> it, was a long, it was a long little speech there. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. feel really honored that you decided to talk with us about that. And I hope that you're on the other side now. I'm on the other side. Yeah, I'm on the other side. You know, it's still checkups, you know, every three months, checkups and scans. And that's kind of the way it is, you know, you're... But yeah, so it's it's encouraging. I've had really good results. Ovarian cancer is so tricky because it's so hard. You can't really screen for it. You don't know. Well, that's the thing. By the time you find out you have it, it has usually progressed to somewhere else, you know. Yeah, so that obviously is the problem. Yeah, so that's a good reminder for us women to stay really, really in touch with our bodies. Right. Yeah, I mean... You know, if there's just any weird abnormal thing going on, I mean, just go in and check it out. You know, that's what I would suggest. And, you know, and sometimes that'll pay off. But yeah, like you said, try to be really in touch with every little, I mean, don't become a hypochondriac. Right. That's That's, that's counterproductive. Yeah, that's counterproductive. Yes. Yes. Speaking of women's issues, Shiro's is a show that holds space for women doing the job of music. I was really excited to talk to you from that perspective. What has that been like for you? Have there been any specific challenges that came up for you? Well, yeah, for sure. At some point, Alan and I decided to have kids, and that's about as, <laughs> as womanly you know, so we had our first child in 2000. And at that point, we'd been doing the band for seven or so years. And we didn't even think about it. We just knew that she would be coming with us. I guess one of our first tours actually was with these friends, this band called Ida. We didn't start touring until she was about 10 months or so. And Liz was actually pregnant at the time. And they were opening. So it was just we would do this crazy swap. I would be at the hotel with Hollis. And then as soon as she got off stage, she would come and tag team me and stay with the baby and I would go do the show. So we did that for a while, which was crazy. And then sometimes we would literally have her in the green room. We had this little pack and play thing we'd bring with us. And, you know, we could hear her sometimes. And then we had a few different nannies. You know, it was amazing. It was crazy. You know, potty training a child in a van, you know, it's like, all right, she's got to go. But it was normal to us at this point, And it was probably a crazy thing to do. But what else are you going to do? That was pretty challenging, but really sweet and really special. We have pictures of when she first started to walk and there are like three or four hands surrounding her. And then we had another child, you know, and he came with us for a while, too. And then Hollis started school And then we started leaving him at home, which was really hard. Early on in our career, we were touring a couple times a year. We were hitting the same cities a couple times. And I think one time we had a six-week tour, and we realized that, ugh, this is way too much. I think four weeks is our top. But, you know, we'd be gone for a month. And we had a woman at that point watching the kids, a dear friend, and she would travel with them. She would take them to her family. You know, so we were missing them, but they were living and they were having amazing experiences. You know, it's been hard, but there have been definite blessings. And then Alan, it's not really a secret. Alan has had mental health issues for, you know, many years. And, you know, it kind of crept in slowly and slowly. And it's kind of like 
the frog in the boiling water, you know, it's getting hotter and hotter and you're not really aware it's happening. And then it kind of hits, you know, it hits the fan, so to speak. And there were some moments like that that were really, really difficult, really. And honestly, we probably pushed through it a little more than we should have. We probably should have stopped and reassessed and addressed a little better than we did. But ultimately, we've weathered it. We're still weathering it. You know, it's not one of those things that it's not an easy fix. But it's forced us to come to terms with a lot of things, you know, who we are and why we do the things we do. You know, I'm a child of an alcoholic. And I have my quirks and my things that are difficult, you know, and sometimes with Alan and me, we're like a perfect storm. But I guess through it all, the music has been a respite and a source of comfort. It's a source of coming together. You know, if you're going to make a record with somebody, it's a very intimate, collaborative, naked time. And you're on this microphone and everything is just so, you know, you hear every little thing. And it's almost like that emotionally too when you're doing a record you know it's a vulnerable time and it's forced us to deal with things and to communicate and to come through on the other side I mean I'm not saying it's perfect it's certainly not at this point when you've been married to somebody for as long as we've been married I remember one time I was this young couple they were getting married and they said oh do you have any advice how to make this work and and I said well you're gonna run into uh, rough times. And I said, it might be rough years, but you have to be committed to weather those rough years. In a way, I guess I've taken my own advice and decided to kind of forge ahead and try to make the best of this and make it an experience. And I mean, the things that we do, the the experiences we've had are, are amazing, you know, and people will look at it you know, and, and, and kind of romanticize it in a way, but sometimes it, it's deserving of that because it's, you know, it's amazing. It's hard work and it, not everybody is equipped for it. But as a woman, I think we are strong and I think we actually, you know, are able to deal with a lot emotionally and physically. And if I think we're probably better equipped to deal with this type of life than, than most people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say it, but in a way, you know, I, I don't know. There's something, something special about us, you know? Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> Let's play another song from this new record. Where do you want to go? Let's do days like these. You know, I just listened to that song again yesterday because it was on one of the year end. It was number three on, oh, what the heck? I can't remember. Oh, it was Pitchfork. It was Pitchfork. Like number three song. Yeah, number three song. I, and I was like, well, holy crap, who's ahead of us? I need to check this out. And you get on YouTube and there are tons of comments too. So I listened to the song and I was reading the comments and oh my gosh, these people are just like so amazing. You know, the fans and love them so much. But yeah, so days like these. When you think you've seen everything If I were living in days like these Say you only take what you bring 
Maybe that's just the way this on the other side of listening to a bit of that song, Days Like These, you mentioned going into it that you listened back to it. What was that experience like for you? Well, usually, at least with Alan and me, you know, we work, work, work for months and months on this record. We listen to it so intently during the process. And then we tend to just, all right, it's done, you know, not really go back. But honestly, you know, I really like that record. You know, it might sound little prideful but I, I don't know I'm really proud of it and listening to that song it was really sweet you know and some of the comments were right on and in my mind I, I would yeah that's right you know that's what we were trying to do and that's you know the structure of this song you know with days like these it starts just very minimal just the vocals and then it the second verse and it just kicks in and the vocals are still really present but underneath it there's just this chaos you know and then the ride out you know it's just like da 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 and that's kind of the whole record in a nutshell to me you know it starts with white horses ends with the price you pay which is kind of a ride out you know must be aware at all anyway so it's kind of in the nutshell it's it's the whole record to me yeah I agree with that actually pitchfork writer I loved what he wrote. He said it's a beautiful, adventurous album from a band who's letting their music fall into disorder and who, in doing so, have never sounded more in control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty great. Spot on, I'd say. <laughs> I don't know about the control. Varying degrees of control in our lives, I think. But you like to think you, you have it. Well, it's also where we are in midlife, the unique perspective and abilities that we bring to our art. And I think that there is a certain degree of willingness or wisdom in understanding how to live with the chaos versus fighting against it or trying to hold on so tight to mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. I might reframe it in that way. Does that resonate yeah, with you? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, life is messy and chaotic, and I guess the control that you can have, if you can have any control, would definitely be coming from within. If you can study your thoughts, study your mind, and meet things head on, you know, I guess that's probably the only thing you can do. And both you and Alan have been involved with the Mormon church. Yeah, Alan grew up in the church. And I personally don't know that much about the Mormon faith, Mm -hmm. but I was curious to talk to you just a little bit about your faith and how that intersected with your life as a musician. Right. Well, it has been very important, the spirituality of it, for sure. I kind of talked about how at the beginning, you know, we decided we wanted to work together. And, And that honestly, that came from a prayer. We were praying, what should we do? What should we do in our life? What is it that we can do together? You know, and honestly, the band was the answer to that prayer. And, you know, in a lyrical sense, we've touched on those spiritual aspects, I think, throughout our whole career, never in a literal sense, and hopefully never in a preachy manner. It's, you know, we're not trying to convince anybody of anything. We're just basically exploring what's going on in our own minds, you know, in our, in our subconscious. Sometimes we'll look back after listening something we recorded a record and we're like wow that's what was going on 
So we've always been real subconscious driven and and not really even maybe knowing what's going on. We're just slaves to our own senses and this and that. But yeah, so it's definitely been very important. It still is. The older I get, in some regards, I feel like the less I know. I'm still learning and I'm still trying to figure out my place. And I'm hopeful about things, you know, about maybe an eternal life and I'm hopeful, but I, you know, I, I'm not a very black and white person. I am like living in the gray zone. You know, I don't know. I'll be the first to admit, I don't know a lot of stuff. I'm still figuring it out and I can't come down really hard on one side or the other because it's just not my nature. But ultimately, especially going through the cancer diagnosis, I really relied heavily on a spiritual, you know, I would pray and And I really felt like I did receive comfort and I received help because of those prayers. And, and I had so many people, friends that were close to me that were praying for me every day. And I don't know, but I really feel like that made a huge difference. It was out there. It was in the air, well wishes and well thoughts and prayers for my, my health. And so It seems kind of magical in a way, and it kind of is, but I think we need some magic. We need some magic in this life. I think that's a great way to end. Let's pick a song to go out with, either another track off of Hey What, or maybe off of Come On, since it's the 10th anniversary of that album. Right. Well, if we're doing that, let's go with Especially Me, which is one of my favorite songs that I've written. And it's still really exciting to play. And it's honestly, Alan and I, we were just playing through stuff the other day. And he just started that song. And, you know, I sang through it. And it was really fun. You know, and he was like, after all these years, he's like, you know, at this one point, you really, you should do this and this. It'd be so great. And it's like, yeah. So even after all these years, we're still discovering things about these songs. Vimy Parker, thanks so much for being with us on Shiro's Radio. What a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Carmel. This is really great. Deep gratitude to Mimi Parker of Lowe for joining us, sharing her story and the news of her recent ovarian cancer diagnosis and treatment. We're hopeful and happy to report that at the time of the taping back in January, Mimi was doing great. She was on the other side of chemo and we're sending positive thoughts her way for continued good health as they are out on the road right now. Catch them live this fall as they tour with Death Cab with Cutie. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Sarah Holtz. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. Visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more. Please do support our work. I've got Patreon. I've got merch. Check that all out in the Shiro shop and keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at Carmel Holt or at Shiro's Radio. And also leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring more of your favorite Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks so much for listening.